Welcome back to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off in the book of Joshua. We've made it to chapter 10. That's like a third of the way through this book uh, of the Bible. And we're going to begin with verse 1. And this is kind of a long one, but none of this is going to be red letters. So we'll probably get through it. We'll try to get through it as quickly as we can. Um, so without further ado, let's begin. Now it came to pass when Adon Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So as always, forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. What we're talking about, though, is the different people, countries, nations that lived on in the promised land before the children of Israel got there. And it's the west side of the Jordan River, east of the Mediterranean Sea. It was called Canaan back then. It's now called Palestine and also called Israel, that same area. So some of the people, some of the other people who lived there heard about the congregation's arrival. Verse 2, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all his men were mighty. So because Gibeon, the Gibeonites, the Hivites who lived there, made peace, a peace treaty with the children of Israel rather than fight with them. It made the other people around them scared because that was one of the stronger nations there, even stronger than the nations that were on the east side of the Jordan that the congregation had already encountered and conquered. Verse 3, Therefore Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jamuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Ledebir, king of Eglon, saying, So they've sent to some of the surrounding nations' kings with a message. Verse 4. Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So um, they're looking for allies to battle against the congregation rather than make a peace treaty with them. And remember, it's actually the children of Israel who are supposed to be approaching them with a peace treaty rather than just going there and attacking them. They've already been told, first approach them with a peace treaty, and if the people who they approach with that refuse, then they, they're, they're also told to massacre everyone, man, woman, and child. But also, if they see women among them that they're attracted to, they're allowed to keep them hostage for a month and then rape them. I'm saying it in plain English, but if you've read with me before, then you know that's um, it's what it says. Verse 5, Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. So rather than a peace treaty, they decided they'd rather go to war than just let them um, take their land. Verse 6, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against. They're saying they gathered together against them. They, the other kings in the area of the um, west side of the Jordan are not pleased with the fact that one of the strongest nations around them decided to make a peace treaty with the congregation rather than go to war with them. So instead, they've decided to go to war with them. And so they're begging help from the children of Israel because they made that peace treaty with them. Almost like in modern times when um, allied nations 
if one gets into a, a war or battle with something, the out the nations it's allied with um, have an agreement, like NATO, for instance, that they also will fight alongside with them. But you see that how that's uh, also corrupted in modern times with what's happening in Ukraine. Ukraine chose to deliberately not join NATO and even did it with um, arrogance um, years back, decided, no, they're not going to do it. They're going to stand alone. And then and once Russia's attacked them, suddenly they're demanding help and even getting it. They're getting it to the tune of billions of dollars, even from America alone, who's not even a neighbor over there. But I, like I said before, I believe they're getting it because they helped cover up what the previous president did, the corruption that he seemed to be committing when it came to um, the whole Ukraine scandal. Because um, it, how hard would it have been for Democrat or Republican in power to just get a transcript of the conversation of the previous president and the Ukrainian president where he was asking for the quid pro quo. Instead, the media just took quid pro quo and made that the storyline, made that every single headline instead of drowning out the fact that there has to be a translator. So if there's a translator, there must be a transcript. And if there's a transcript, then you can see what was said and either he was guilty or he was innocent. And yet they carried on two impeachment trials with the previous president and uh, no one presented or even demanded or even requested a transcript of the phone conversation, which would have got it down, got it out, got right to the root of the problem instantly. It would have either, either acquitted him or um, uh, convicted him, or at least let him look guilty or let him look innocent. But that wasn't done because, just like we've read previously, it's about theater. It is about the military industrial complex in the Bible and what we're reading now. And it's about the same thing in modern times with Ukraine. It's about funneling money to, to the military, which then gets funneled to the people in charge of this country and that one. So um, that's how come it seems to me things are unfolding the way they're unfolding because it's theater. But you see how verse 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. So because they have a peace treaty, Joshua's getting on up off his dupe, and he's going on to go see about what's going on with the Hivites, the Gibeon, the people of Gibeon. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So uh, he's being reassured by it saying the Lord and Lord here is being translated from the word Jehovah um, that they're going to get victory um, if they when they go to battle against um, the nations that they're going to help Gibeon defend against verse 9 and before we move on it's saying the Lord said at him but that contradicts what we read later in the Bible that no one's heard seen God at any time seen his voice or seen his form or heard his voice and that's in John like I've said again and again chapter 1 tells us that so how in the world did Moses see and hear God how in the world is Joshua now hearing God and even stranger how in the world were the forefathers one of them even wrestling with God Israel slash Jacob it said physically wrestled with God and beat him beat God wrestling does that even make sense and yet it is what it says, so um, make sense of it how best you can, but if it contradicts, generally, I believe that we have, as Christians, should lean into what Jesus says, since 
That's who Christianity is named for, Christ, the role he played as Messiah, Jesus. But believe what you want. Verse um, 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So Joshua is on his way to help. Um, verse 10, and not just himself, I'm assuming the army is with him, but let's see. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Machidah. So it's saying the Lord routed them and killed them. Uh, but if that's the case, why would the Lord need them to go out at all? If the Lord's going to do the killing, why do? Why would the Lord need a human hand to kill people when they've already been told, thou shalt not kill? So that also doesn't make sense. It's not consistent. So to me, it can't possibly be from God Almighty, a God who knows the end from the beginning. Why would a God knowing that contradict God's self? And yet, it's how it reads. So I'm just reading it. Verse 11, and it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon, and the Lord cast down large, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. So now it's not the Lord who did the killing, it's saying it's the children of Israel who did the killing. So it switched it up just that quick. And it also says that the Lord rained down the hailstones. Well, if that's the case and more people die from the hailstones, why wouldn't the Lord just have taken them all out with the hailstones and not let the people have blood on their hands at all, especially since they've been told, thou shalt not kill. And that's in the Ten Commandments, not any of those statutes and ordinances. It's right there in the Big Ten. And yet, again, it contradicts, but it is how it reads. So let's keep reading. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, so um, he's still having conversations with the Lord. And um, and he, now he's speaking to the congregation. Oh, I didn't mean to um, not finish that verse. I didn't realize it wasn't finished. He said in the sight of Israel and said, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So um, it seems um, Joshua's commanding nature itself, the sun and the moon, to stay put um, so that he can do battle. Verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had, had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So that's another glimpse of the fact that this is being written with 2020 hindsight. These events happened, and then at some point later, someone, probably a scribe, um, did some editing and probably did some adding and um, um, some embellishing because you see them adding in this book of Jasher, which must clearly be some sort of ancient, a, re a reference to some other ancient book that um, is being referred to here. Um, that wouldn't have been uh, a contemporary, a con, con a, a, a lot of words slipping my tongue, uh, slipping my mind, a contemporaneous account. That's a retrospective account. That's someone looking back and adding that and also throwing in the fact that there's another book that has that same account in it. And then not only that, the whole, whole story itself, I, 
I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it sounds very fantastic that he's a person, a human, is able to command the sun and the moon to stand still so that they can slaughter people, which, again, is against the Ten Commandments. And yet, not to mention the theft of the land, the coveting of the land that the other people already um, occupy. All of that is against the Big Ten, but it's um, how it reads. Verse 14, and there's been no day like that before or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So it's saying again that um, it was a unique experience making the sun and the moon stand still so that they could um, slaughter humans, kill people, um, and that the Lord is on their side making it happen and even fighting for them. Apparently, um, killing lots of people with the hailstones but leaving enough people behind that the humans also get some blood on their hands too. Verse 15, Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So they kept their treaty. They helped slaughter some of their enemies and they've returned back to their land. Verse 16, But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in, the cave, in a cave at Machida. So not so the elites on both sides are protected. The congregations elites are the ones protected by the armies, were the ones protected by the armies of the uh, common people surrounding them. Uh, so that if any attack happens, they, the common people meet the, meet the danger first. And it seems also the people they've encountered, at least the kings, have also hidden themselves away even though their own people were slaughtered in the battle. Uh, just like in modern times. Verse 17, and it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machida. So even though they hid themselves, they've been found. Verse 18, so Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. So that reminds me of when um, Jesus was buried and in the cave and they rolled a large stone against it with and set up guards we read that just a couple just a couple of days ago with our um saturday night reading that that's about jesus's burial and you see it was nothing new because thousands of years before they also did the same thing here although it's not a burial there it's a um in this instance it's locking them up basically basically confining them so that they can't escape again Verse 19, and do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. So um, Joshua is saying, confine them to the cave, roll a, sto a stone against the door so they can't get away, but don't stick around. Keep on fighting, go after your enemies, and keep killing. Verse 20, then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a great, very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So they did a lot of murder, did a lot of killing, and the ones who escaped, escaped to other cities where they were fortified and um, probably walled and guarded. Um, not just open and open, you know, come, as you, come and go cities, but guarded and fortified for safety. Verse 21, and all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Machida in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. So um, the congregation made it back to Joshua and they're apparently encamped at Machida, that area. And um, everyone's probably uh, 
unnerved by the fact that they were able to go there, command the sun and the moon to stand still and slaughter so many people and even have nature, it's attributed to the Lord, working in their favor, casting hailstones on them, killing them. Verse 22, then Joshua said, open them out to the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. So now the five kings that are confined to the cave have been summoned by Joshua. Verse 23, and they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So there's another subtle hint there that this is um, written retrospectively because we just read that it was the king of uh, Jebus, the Jebusites, not Jerusalem. It doesn't really get called Jerusalem consistently until after the children of Israel um, conquer and occupy it. Up until then, they're called Jebusites, the people that live in that area. And even after then for a while. But either way, the kings of those areas are brought out to him. Verse 24, so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. So that reminds me of the wickedness of George Floyd's murder. People paid to enforce the law, actually breaking it and getting away with it. It took, what, a couple of years to even settle those? And I think a couple of them, a couple of them, couple of them at least one of them is still uh, fighting it in court now. And that's after being offered um, um, a deal, plea deals, even though what they did was caught on video of the murder. And yet, you see... Um, when you're elite and um, in the ruling class, you get all kinds of offers, just like the previous president. He's been caught with uh, documents that you're not supposed to have outside of areas, top secret documents, and caught with them red-handed and even lied about turning them all over and then caught with some more. And yet he's still walking around, not in custody, not in handcuffs, and still walking around talking noise about running again. It's, it lets you know. Uh, there's uh, the two-tier justice so-called justice system is nothing new when you have money and a certain complexion you get a certain uh, immunity to consequences it seems or at least an immunity to immediate and swift justice type consequences things that black people don't get in other words but anyway they're being told to put their feet on the necks of those kings that they held confined and of the areas they'd already conquered Verse 25, then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So now Joshua's letting the people know, don't be scared. They're going to have the victory no matter who it is they come up against. Verse 26, and afterward Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So saying hung on a tree, that's the same thing as lynching. They lynched the um, different kings and hung them up um, until evening. And evening, again, marks the beginning of another day. And so um, all the way up until the time of Jesus and probably after, Similarly, they don't, um, they try not to keep, uh, it's an offense to keep um, them hanging on the tree uh, after evening for whatever reason. Um, so they're, um, so the evening starting a new day um, 
seems to signify a point where okay let's start fresh and get them down off the from the lynching spots um, verse 27 so it was at the time of, go- of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth which remain until this very day so again I doubt that that stone is still up against that cave's mouth at this point in time unless it's been lost to time and just hasn't been discovered and ex- excavated but it almost certainly has because most all well maybe not necessarily because um those they're called tells t-e-l um and they in in this part of the world and it's it's usually a sign it's like a big mound of instead of um demolishing an area and raising it flat and then building on top of that instead they would just build after the area Instead of wiping it clean and building fresh, instead they would just mound the next city, the next next settlement, right on top of the ruins of the previous area and people who lived there. So maybe it's possible that um, this area is still around and just has been built on on top of it, or that it was never found, or that it's been found, excavated, and those bodies recovered. Remember, it's been thousands of years, so any of those things are possible. Um but the fact that it says remain until this very day again is a sign to us that when it says to this very day it doesn't mean till now 2022 when i'm recording this it means up until the time whenever whoever is documenting this uh, or narrating this wrote it down up until that moment whenever that was and clearly wasn't contemporaneous it wasn't written as it happened it's written in retrospect so up until the point where it was reflected back upon and written it was still um that's that cave was still there and the stones were there in front of it up until that point in time verse 28 on that day joshua took makeda and stuck struck it and its king with the edge of the sword he utterly destroyed them all the people who were in it he let none remain he also did to the king of makeda as he had done to the king of jericho so even though they were camped in Makeda, they've turned on that area and decided to go ahead and massacre all the people there also. And again, that contradicts the command they were given in the first place to first seek a peace treaty with the people um, rather than just massacre them right off. But um, whatever the case may be, they've gone ahead and massacred the people of that area also. Verse 29, then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna and they fought against Libna so again not going there seeking peace and then seeing if they can have a treaty with the people instead just instantly going in and attacking them and that may be I'm just in retrospect on my own now maybe why it led to so many problems with them after they um, occupied the land because they didn't follow the order uh, that they were given by uh, the Lord um, to first seek a peace treaty with the people not to just go there and massacre them but if they won't accept the peace treaty then you're free to massacre them and again that doesn't sound like what god almighty would say especially a god who's able to just open up the ground and swallow up people or send lightning or fire from heaven and burn up people or drop hailstones on people and kill people um, that doesn't sound consistent and yet it's hard to read so we're just going to keep reading it Verse 30, and the Lord also delivered it 
and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. So just uh, continuing the slaughter. Verse 31, Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. So again, skipping over to seek peace and pursue it, like we read in Psalms, skipping over, uh, offer a peace treaty first, and I'm paraphrasing there, but what was told previously up until this point, first seek a peace treaty with the people, and if they refuse, then you can attack them. Skipping over that altogether, just going in and attacking the people city after city. Verse 32, And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. So following the same pattern and it says with the Lord fighting on their side still apparently even though they're being uh, contrary to what the Lord told them to do yet still conquering city after city. Verse 33 Then Horam king of Gezer came up to help Lachish and Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. So they're going around uh, kicking butt and taking names and um, lots of blood on their hands and again completely contrary to what they were told to do as far as their battles and conquering but they're still getting the victory along the way but that doesn't mean they won't reap the um, um, the the punishment for not being faithful to what they were told to do and I'm not saying that's what happened but it seems that that's what happened um, verse 34, for, from Lachish, Joshua passed by, passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. So the next area they got to, and they're fighting against it. Verse 35, they took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So you can imagine just massacre after massacre after massacre moving through the land. Um, and you can imagine the reputation they would get. It'd be like the barbarians just moving through the land and um, killing as they go. Verse 36. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron and they fought against it. So they made it to Hebron um, to fight against it. And that's... Um, you can get if you use an Old Testament map or even a modern map, you can see what area that's in. It still exists in modern times. Um, verse 37, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, all its cities and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. And so this also, the way it's being written, lets us know this is done retrospectively. This isn't being written as they get to the city, then, oh, this person did that, and then this one did this, and then this fight happened that way, and that fight ended this way. Instead, it's just going down the list of the different conquests that happened and letting us know one by one they um, conquered area after area after area. Verse 38, Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to Debir and they fought against it. So yet another area they've arrived at and they're fighting against it. 
Verse 39, and he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he had so he did to Debir and its king, as he had done also to Libna and its king. So yet another area they've um, encountered and conquered. Verse 40, so Joshua conquered all the land let me start again. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and and their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. So they're saying they're being faithful to that command to massacre the people, um, city by city, area by area. Verse 41, And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. So some of those areas still exist. Um, Gaza, for instance, the Gaza Strip that's disputed, and um, um, and Goshen, uh, we read about it previously also. So they're ancient lands, ancient even before the congregation arrived to them, with people occupying them, or at least up until the congregation has gone through and massacred them. Verse 42. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. So um, it seems Jehovah was on their side. That's the name of the entity, the deity at this point in the narrative. And, um, and that's who it's saying. That's who they're giving credit with. And that's who's being called the Lord. And being given credit for um, each of the victories that they're in, that they're having from area to area to area. Um, verse, sorry, the page jumped the page. Um, verse forty-two. All these, oh, I think we read that one, but just in case, verse forty-two. All these kings and their land, Joshua took at one time. Yeah, we read that because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel, verse 43. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. So after all of their um, um, massacres, the slaughters, the wars, they returned to the camp at Gilgal. Not the camp at Machida anymore, but now the camp is at Gilgal at this point in the narrative. And that's where, after they've done all their warring, that's where they returned back to. Um... And that's actually the end of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope you'll join me again. And I hope it's a blessing for you. That's the whole point. Stay safe. God bless you. I love you. And I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.